No matter how strong our faith is, we all have moments when we come to the end of ourselves. The problem is, if we're honest, we aren't sure if God can meet us in that place. Insecurity, doubt, rejection, and pain make us feel isolated and alone. But if we offer our desperation to God in prayer, we find Him eager to listen, to forgive, to heal, to step in, and help. Well, welcome Summit Church at all of our locations. My name is Curtis. My wife Elizabeth and I have been here at the Summit for a little over seven years, five of which we both have actually uh, had the privilege of working on staff here. My wife is one of our staff accountants and then myself as one of your pastors. Um, I know it's already been said, but I do want to wish a happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. Probably the greatest blessing in my life, aside from knowing Christ and my wife, is to be a father to three beautiful little daughters, um, the youngest of which we welcomed into the world just 22 days ago. And so you can clap. Um, I did absolutely nothing. I will pass that on to my wife. Um, she did all the work. And so now we have a three and a half year old daughter, a two year old daughter and a newborn daughter. So Jesus be a nap um, or at least Jesus be somebody that wants to sponsor three weddings. Amen. <laughs> um, that's where I'm at. Sometimes when I'm in the gym, people will ask me, they'll say, hey, what are you training for? And my answer is always the same life with three daughters. What are you training for? And so um, that's kind of where I'm at with things. I think God in his humor has me preaching this weekend in this prayer series entitled Help, because I feel like the last three weeks of my life that has summed up my entire prayer life. God, I have three daughters. Help. And so what we've seen over the last few weeks is that if we offer our desperation to God in prayer, we find a God who is eager to step in, eager to heal, eager to forgive, um, and eager to help. And so I want to continue this weekend by preaching in this series um, on a fairly well-known story. Uh, that is the story of Lazarus, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and pull them out. You can turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or if you would like a nicer Bible, you can stop by our next steps area on the way out. We have a lost and found. And so uh, you might even find the one you left here on Easter. It's my free gift to you. There you go. Well, uh, in an effort to make my Baptist pastor really proud, why don't we at all of our locations stand this morning in honor of the reading of the word of God. At all of our locations, let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your scriptures this morning. God, you've promised that they would not return void. God, I pray that they would go forth with power and that somebody here this morning at the Summit Church would experience a resurrection just like Lazarus. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. Would I decrease that Jesus, you might increase. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? 
Amen. Y'all can go ahead and be seated. Thanks for being good Southern Baptists up in here this morning. Well, with addition of a new baby girl, I've tried to be at home as much as possible the last few weeks, and I have quickly been reminded how, um, from my oldest two kids, that the requests just never stop. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but they just never stop. You never get, you know, time for yourself or whatever we like to do. Um, I started thinking if I had to make a list of the three hardest jobs, in my opinion, in the entire world, um, I think that list would consist something of like, uh, probably like a mercenary would be one, maybe a bomb technician, that sounds terrifying, uh, and then probably a stay at home mother uh, would be at the top of that list. And so I feel like stay at home moms in some regard have to be a mercenary and a bomb diffuser multiple times. When I left here yesterday to come preach, my wife was diffusing a newborn bomb as I was leaving, if you know what I mean. So stay at home moms, it might be Father's Day. I'm incredibly thankful for what you do in raising the next generation for Christ. Um, I don't know if you're around kids much, but as with most kids, uh, mine are just never ending chatterboxes of cute little requests. And so it's constantly, daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I need this. Daddy, I want to go to the pool. Daddy, I have a boo-boo. Daddy, Nora hit me. And what's interesting, whether you're around kids or, uh, a lot or not, um, kids are not so much worried about their punctuation, right? My kids, I don't know about yours, they don't tend to ask questions. They just make statements. But we know that these statements are actually requests, right? So let me translate. When my daughter says, Daddy, I'm hungry, what she really means, the question she's asking is, Daddy, can I have some form of candy, bread, cheese, ice cream, popcorn, or pizza, preferably all of them at the same time, please and thank you, Daddy. <laughs> when she says, Daddy, I want to play in the pool, what she's really asking is, Daddy, can we go to the big pool? Not this little plastic kiddie pool you keep filling up and throwing in our front yard because you are way too cheap to buy a membership to the big pool. Can we please go to the big pool, Daddy? <laughs> When she says, Daddy, I have a boo-boo, it's not a statement. That's, Daddy, I'm hurt. Can you please get me some squish and a Band-Aid? Now, squish in our house is just code name for Neosporin. I'm not trying to teach a 12-month-old how to say Neosporin. So squish, that's where we're at in our life. Daddy, Nora hit me. The question there is, Daddy, will you please do something about my terrorist little sister who will not stop bothering me? I need you to step in and do this. <laughs> And genuinely, I'm, I'm trying to cherish the season of dependency that my kids have on me. I know that season's going to come to an end soon. And so we even have this little thing where before I help them or after I do something for them, I say, hey, why is daddy going to do this for you? Why did daddy do that for you? And they say, because he loves me. And I say, and how long is daddy going to love you? And they say, forever. <laughs> See, I want my kids to know why I'm willing to help them and why I'm willing to do all these things for them, no matter how ridiculous and no matter how long and never stopping the list is. I want them to know that, hey, you never have to stop asking. You never have to stop coming to me. Never stop pleading for my help. They don't have to say, Daddy, will you please help me in my hunger? Daddy, will you please help me in my pain? Daddy, will you please help me in my situation? They don't have to ask that. They simply say, Daddy, I have a situation and hearing those words out of their precious little mouths is enough to move me to action on their behalf because of how much I love them. See, my kids never stop asking me things because they know two things about me to be true. They believe one, that I love them with all my heart. And two, they believe that I actually possess the power to help them with whatever is going on in their life. And so reading this this week, I was reminded again why Jesus tells us to have childlike faith. Because if we really believed, if we really, truly, honestly believed about God, even just as much as my kids believe about me, the way that we prayed would fundamentally change. 
It would change because it wouldn't just be head knowledge. You would have a heart knowledge and a personal relationship with Christ where you know that there is a God who is good and loving and kind and sympathetic to your situation as well as great and powerful and mighty enough to actually do something about it. Which brings me back to our story here in John chapter 11, where I want to show you today the prayers that move Jesus most. The prayers that move Jesus most. And let me tell you, it's not an overstatement for me to say that if we can learn this and really internalize this, the confidence that you have in your prayer life will never be the same. Before we get too deep into this, I want to reiterate something that Pastor Will said last week so eloquently. And it's that what I'm about to share is not a formula by which we get God to move on our behalf. This is a posture, a posture of prayer that I believe, according to John 11, moves Jesus most. See, we can't make the spirit move, but we sure can open up our sails and wait for the wind of the spirit to move. Amen, Summit Church. So let's look at this again. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. He was ill, so the sisters sent to him. Now we all know how this story is going to end, right? Like you've been in church long enough, you know how this story is going to end. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And I don't know about you, but when I read uh, stories that I know fairly well over and over, sometimes I have to really focus in and allow God to reveal something new to me. And so this week I couldn't help uh, but getting a good laugh because I started thinking, man, how incredible must this miracle have been for everybody that was there? For everybody that witnessed a dead man being raised back to life, how incredible and life-changing for every single person in this story, except for one, Lazarus. Just bear with me. Think about this. If you're Lazarus, you've been dead for four days. So if you're dead, where are you? Where, where, where is he? He's in heaven. He's in heaven. Lazarus is living his best life now. <laughs> He's meeting the neighbors. They're like, Lazarus, how's that bum knee? He's like, not bum anymore. Never felt better. Like he's in his mansion, in his room. He's rearranging stuff. He's getting everything set up, you know, walls of gold, doing the whole thing. Jesus knocks on the door. He opens the door. He's like, Jesus, I knew you'd be here. This is incredible. Jesus is like, hey, man, this is kind of awkward. I'm going to need you to go back down there. <laughs> That's just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's just how I read my Bible. I don't know how you read yours. Um, so at this point in the story where we're at, Lazarus is still hanging on. He's still hanging on. But just put yourself in this family's shoes for a moment. Lazarus is sick. At any moment, he could slip into eternity. All cards are on the table for this family. They are in the thick of it, and they are being exposed by the greatest enemy of all time, which is death itself. And the way I read this, it seems as if Mary and Martha have exhausted all other options to see their brother be healed. No medical remedy is going to help. No essential oil is going to help. There is no amount of chicken noodle soup that is going to help their brother. They see that this is a job only for Jesus. Because you see, there are some jobs that are only meant for Jesus. But the reason we're doing a series on prayer is that you have to know how to get in touch with him. <laughs> well, they know that Jesus is over in this village called Perea, which is about 15 miles or so from Bethany, where they are at. And they send a message. They send a message... Uh, what they believe to be their best, their most convincing, and their most airtight argument for why Jesus should come help their brother Lazarus. And again, think about this. Mary and Martha have one shot at getting Jesus' attention. And it's time sensitive at that. 
They have one shot to make the request, one shot to ask for help, one shot to get Jesus to move on their behalf. So it better be a darn good argument because their brother's life depends on it. If you have one shot at getting Jesus' attention in a situation like this, one shot to save a loved one's life, one shot to save your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or a best friend, one shot, what are you asking? What are you asking? How are you asking? What would your argument be for why Jesus should come help? I don't know about you, but here's what I know. The sisters send a seven-word message. That's it. I'm not sending a short message. The message I'm sending, if Lazarus is my brother and he's sick, I'm listing out his entire spiritual resume. (laughs) I'm saying, Jesus, Lazarus is ill. Lazarus, the one who loves you, Jesus, he's sick. Lazarus, your buddy, Lazarus, who attends church faithfully, Lazarus, who prays diligently, who does his quiet time every day, who serves on the parking team, Lazarus, who ties, Lazarus, who tells everybody that he knows about you, Jesus, Lazarus, the one who loves you so much, Jesus, he's sick, please come help. Not Mary and Martha. They knew what would move Jesus most. They knew what kind of prayer would move God in the flesh the most. So they write in verse three, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I only have one point for you today. One point. I'm a terrible Baptist. One point. (laughs) When you appeal to God's heart, you can expect to see God's hand. When you appeal to God's heart in prayer, you can expect to see God's hand move in your life. I'm not sure about you, but my default prayer posture is the exact opposite of this. Because when I'm going through something, the way I tend to pray is, hey, God, I have a situation and I've been doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm trying to love you more. I've been having my quiet time. I've been tithing. I've been praying more. And after all that, I still don't understand why you will not move in my life the way that I want or the way that I need you to. God, why won't you heal my mom? Why did you let them get the job over me? Why won't you provide me with a spouse? Why have you withheld children from us, God? I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. So God, why aren't you doing what you are supposed to be doing? But that's not how to pray. Here's what moves Jesus most. The God of the universe is not moved most by your love or your dedication for him, but is moved by his love for you. And that is good news this morning because his love for you never changes. His love for you never fails. His love for you never ends. And I know you've heard this probably a thousand times in your life, but I want you to hear it clearly from me this morning. And I believe these words are going to crack through some hard hearts this morning. Listen to me. God loves you. Regardless of what you've done or regardless of what you think of yourself, regardless of the guilt or the shame or the regrets that you brought in here today, even with all of that, God loves you. And I know for some of you, this is your biggest hang up with Jesus. It's your biggest issue with Christianity. And it is your biggest problem with prayer because you, believe, you can't fathom, you can't reckon, you can't wrap your mind around the fact that the God of the universe would love you enough to listen to you and actually do something about your life. Let me tell you, this is Christianity at its most basic level. 
not that we first love God, but that God first loved us. The gospel is not that we love God so much that because of that, he sent his son to save us. No, the gospel is that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die in our place and to redeem each and every one of us to himself. If only we would believe that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you, you are loved unconditionally by the God of the universe. And so don't you dare let society or anyone else tell you different. Don't let your past tell you different. Don't let that kid at school tell you different different. Don't let your bad experience with church tell you different. Most of all, do not let yourself tell you any different because even in spite of anything that you've ever done that you think makes you unlovable, let me gladly tell you this morning that because he loves you as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Because he loves you, though your sins are like scarlet, he will make them as white as snow. Because he loves you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he loves you, we gather together as a church body and we sing there is now a fountain that is filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel Christ Jesus, the Messiah's veins, and sinners, that is you, that is me, who are plunged beneath that flood. We lose all of our guilty stains. There is nothing left for us except for the spotless, perfect righteousness of Christ Jesus. That is the love of God for you, dearly beloved. I'm still in my intro. <laughs> I think I just needed to get up out the house for, for a little while. <laughs> Man. Mary and Martha petitioned Jesus based on Jesus' love for Lazarus, not on Lazarus' love for Jesus, because that is what moves Jesus to action. His love for you. Let's keep reading in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, Lazarus was ill, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John really wants us to understand this, that Jesus loved this family. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loved them. So he waited. Huh. See, when I'm reading that, I think maybe the word but would work better. He loved them, but he waited. But this says the very reason that he waited is because he loved them. He loved them, so he waited. See, the reason he waited is because Jesus wants us to know clearly, without a doubt, that by the time he finally arrives to Bethany in verse 17, Lazarus is truly dead. He's not one or two or three day dead. He is four day dead. Lazarus is dead, dead. It seems to everybody as if Jesus is too late. I mean, just think about this from the sister's perspective. They have been praying fervently and yet their brother is still dead. To them, it seems as if Jesus has failed them. But if you haven't learned this by now in your life, let me tell you, Jesus is not so concerned with time as we know it as he is with timing. <laughs> And so Jesus wants us to know clearly that what is about to occur is not just a resuscitation. No, this is about to be a resurrection. And so let's skip ahead a little bit to verse 23. Verse 23, we're gonna come back. We're gonna come, come back to verses 21 and 22. They are just, uh, honestly, they're just so good. I wanna save those for dessert. So let's wrap them up and put them in the fridge. We'll pull them out and heat them up in a little while, all right? Verse 23, 
Jesus arrives in Bethany and he sees Martha. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I'm like, well, dang, that's a pretty good answer, Martha. (laughs) Martha's been to seminary. (laughs) She seems to know the correct theological answer to pain. I know everything will be fine one day. And sure, as Christians, this is our favorite thing that we love to tell people when they're going through something, right? Hey, God's in control. Everything happens for a reason. It'll all be fine. One day, every sad thing will come untrue. And sure, that's perfectly true. And that can certainly bring you comfort. But let me tell you, that does not always alleviate my suffering right now. Jesus, who's fairly good at reading people, mind you, picks up that Martha needs more than just a theological reminder right now. And so what he's about to do is completely redefine her theology. He is about to move the doctrine of the resurrection from being a future hope, something that Martha knows intellectually, and make it become a present reality for her, something that she will now know personally. And so verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me, or everyone who lives and believes in me, shall never die. I am the resurrection and the life. See, sometimes what Jesus does when he meets us in prayer is to remind us of what we think we believe, but what we don't actually really truly believe, at least for our situation, at least for what's going on in our life right now. This wasn't some new doctrine for Martha. This was Jesus saying, hey, you know that doctrine about the resurrection, Martha? That applies here. That applies right now. That applies to your current situation. Because when I'm with you, those stories in the Bible, they're not just fairy tales. They're echoes of what I'm about to do in and through you. What Jesus wants us to see here is that resurrection is not just an event. Resurrection is not just a doctrine. Resurrection is a person. And he is standing in front of Martha. Listen, Bible knowledge... Doctrinal knowledge, theological knowledge, those are fantastic things because of who they point to. But those things in and of themselves will not save you. The thing that they point to, the person that they point to, he is the one that saves you, the Redeemer, the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When you know him by faith, we need not fear even the shadow of the death for he is the resurrection and the life. Listen, I am not downplaying the importance of scripture at all. These things are your life. But if you think about it like this, if you are sick, You don't want a medical book. You don't want some kind of formula. You want a doctor. If you're being sued, you don't want a law book. You want a lawyer. Likewise, when it comes time to face your final enemy, which is death, you want a savior and not just a doctrine written in a book. But see, the beauty of what the scriptures shows us is that in Jesus Christ, every single doctrine is made personal. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that means wherever Jesus is, wherever the promises of God's are, God's resurrection power is not just a doctrine. It is available right now. And so I'm telling you, cling to these scriptures because of the very one that they point to and what he is able to do in your life. Appeal to God's heart using these promises and watch him move. So Jesus asks her in response to this, verse 26, he says, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She uses three different titles for Jesus here. She calls him Lord, Christ the King, and Son of God. 
And the words, I believe, are actually in the perfect tense, which indicates a fixed and a settled faith. It's Martha saying, I have believed and I will continue to believe. Seeing Jesus as the resurrection and the life has finally moved her from intellectual facts about Jesus to understanding this personal truth about Jesus. She's moved from just knowing facts about Jesus to understanding truth about Jesus. And see, this is one of the many tensions that are to be managed in the Christian life. The tension that truth and fact are not always the same thing. Here's the fact. Lazarus is dead. Dead people don't come back to life. But here's the truth. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Oh, Summit family, that we would understand this because you are either going to live your life defined by what you go through or by who you belong to. See, what you go through might be fact. You are really going through some things and those things are fact, but who you belong to is the one who can speak a word and all of creation is born, the way, the truth, and the life. And so it may be a fact that you are here today and you are lost and confused, but the truth is in Christ Jesus that if you acknowledge him in all of your ways, he will make your path straight. It may be fact that you've been praying for the same thing and the same person for five, 10, maybe even 15 years and that God seemingly still has not answered that prayer. But the truth is that in Christ Jesus, you can still have confidence when approaching God because if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you, he is working, even if you don't see it right now and even if you don't see it this side of heaven. It may be fact that you feel alone and that you feel like you are not good enough, but the truth is that in Christ, you have a God who is your ever-present help in time of need, a God who will never leave you nor forsake you, and a Jesus who is ready and willing to stand before God the Father when you think and know that you are not good enough. Whatever your fact is right now, know that you can always appeal to God's heart by praying biblical truth, which is found in God's word. And when you do that, you can wait expectantly because it is biblical truth that connects God's past promises with your present situation in hopes of a better future that God the Father can bring about right now in your life. That's good. He said, that's good. I'm gonna say it again. (laughs) It is God's word, these promises that God wrote. God's promises of the past merge with your present situation that God can bring about a better future right now in your life. So you declare his promises, Summit family. You declare his promises and you wait expectantly to see his power. Unless you think this is name it and claim it, it is not. I'm talking about the promises of God found in scripture. So it's not name it and claim it. It is name him and claim them because there is power in the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus is found right here in the scriptures, which are your life. I can't tell you how God's gonna answer. I can't tell you when he's gonna answer. But what I can tell you is that he is always working. He's always doing something and he has promised always to be with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And just when you think the story can't get any better, let's go back and look at those few verses that we skipped, the ones that I told you were so good. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, Lazarus is dead and Jesus has just showed up to Bethany. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Goodness gracious, has there ever been a more relatable prayer in scripture than this? Lord, If you would have answered my prayers, my husband wouldn't have left. Lord, if you would have provided, we wouldn't have lost the house. 
Lord, if you would have intervened, you could have prevented this miscarriage. Lord, if you had made me differently, I wouldn't be such an outcast at school. You ever been there? Martha's been there. I've been there. I've read biographies on some of the greatest saints in all of history. And let me tell you, they've been there. Lord, if you had just done anything, this wouldn't be happening. Here's where it gets good. Remember, when you appeal to God's heart, you can expect to see God's hand move. And God's heart is close to those who fully rely on him by faith, even when things don't seem to make sense. Let me ask you before we go on. Let me ask you, how many of you, according to Ephesians 2, have a but God testimony? You know what that is? That means I was dead in my sin, but God stepped in and saved me. How many of you have one of those testimonies? (laughs) I was trying to find satisfaction with a different person every single weekend, but God showed me that eternal satisfaction is found in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. I was knee deep in my sin and debauchery and drunkenness and pride and depression. I was a child of wrath. I was following the prince of the power of the air. I was a son of disobedience, but Jesus rescued me and put me on a solid rock. How many of you have a but God testimony in this place? All right. About 15 of you, the rest of you were born walking on water. That's fine. I will share my but God testimony anywhere I can, all right? Listen, we are real quick to share our but God testimony. And that's fantastic. Encourage your brothers and sisters with your but God testimony. But let me tell you, your but God testimony is a a story of something God has done in the past. Again, great thing. But that doesn't help me right now. What this is, what we're about to see, what Martha's about to show us, is how to have a but God faith in the middle of your circumstance, in your current situation, when the pain is ever so present. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's where it gets good. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Lord, have mercy. Some of y'all need to hear this. What you need today is not just a but God story. You need a but even now story, a but even now kind of faith. Some of you need to write this down. You need to put it above your bathroom mirror, above your desk at work and make it the background on your phone. Here it is. Before anything becomes a but God testimony, it begins with a but even now faith. Before anything becomes a but God testimony, it begins with a but even now faith. This phrase that Martha teaches us, but even now speaks with faith despite circumstances. It's the kind of faith that relies on God's promises by appealing to God's heart, which thereby releases God's power and expects to see God's hand move in your life. But even now faith says, God, if you had moved, I wouldn't be going through this. (laughs) But even now. But even now, I believe that you have a plan, that you are sovereign, that you are working, that one day I will get the help and God, you will get the glory. Even if I don't see it this side of heaven, it says I may have lost my job. But even now, you are Jehovah Jireh, you are the provider. It says the diagnosis came back positive. But even now, I still believe that you can heal me. And even if you don't, you are still worthy to be praised. It says I may have a list of regrets and one night stands a mile long. But even now, I believe you can make me clean and as white as snow. It says my husband has been ridiculed my faith for 10 years. But even now, I believe that you can still save him and make him new because but even now, faith declares that nothing and no one is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. This morning, I was talking right down here. I was talking with Ken, one of our servant leaders, who told me that his daughter, who is 46 years old, gave her life to Christ just four months ago. 46 years old. Ken said, I've been praying for her for 20 years. 
20 years Ken prayed for his daughter. You don't think Ken had some moments where he said, Lord, if you had just showed up, if you even cared, 20 years. I guarantee you his prayers at some point said, but even now, I believe that you can save her. 46 years old, there she is walking with Christ. Let me tell you, your husband is not impossible for God. Your wife is not impossible for God. Your parents and your kids are not impossible for God. Your friends and your roommate are not impossible for God. Therefore, you pray like this. You say, Jesus, the one that you love, that is me, needs you to move. And in spite of what I am seeing before me, that does not matter because even now, I believe that you can work a miracle. So you appeal to the heart of God with confidence, with even now faith, and you watch him turn your situation situation into a but God testimony. That is the confidence you have when you pray the scriptures and appeal to God's heart. I'm about to call Brandon back up here to play on this organ. We're about to have a revival up in this place. Goodness gracious. Ah, that's Martha. Now it's Mary's turn. (laughs) Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She has the same initial reaction that Martha did. But when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then one of the most comforting verses in all of the Bible Verse 35, Jesus wept. See, Jesus responds differently to Mary than he did with Martha. Mary doesn't seem to have this bold, even now faith that her sister Martha had, but Jesus' grace still abounds. He knew that just as what Martha needed was insight, he sees that Mary needs comforting. And so he doesn't try to explain to her anything else. He just weeps with her. Pastor Derek said this a few weeks ago. He said, just because Jesus knows the outcome of your situation, that doesn't stop him from weeping with you. See, Jesus' weeping reveals his humanity. It's a reminder that he willingly entered into all of our experiences and all of our circumstances. And he knows exactly how we feel. I'm not sure about you, but for me, this has always been one of the most powerful theological truths. Because yes, I am assured when I remember that God is sovereign and that he has a plan for history and that he has a plan for my life. And that's fantastic. I'm assured when I know that. But I'm comforted when I realize that God sympathizes and is with me in my pain. Let's look down at verse 41. And what we're going to find is Jesus praying exactly like we've been talking about appealing to God's heart and then expecting to see God's hand move. This is how the sisters prayed. This is how Jesus prayed. And this is how God in heaven invites us and desires us to pray with this type of confidence and expectancy. Verse 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. (laughs) This, Summit family, is the power 
of Jesus. He speaks and creation obeys. One Puritan said that if Jesus had not specifically named Lazarus when he shouted, he would have emptied the entire cemetery. (laughs) Three words from Jesus and a dead man is brought back to life. Three words and a miracle occurs. Three words and history is forever changed as we know it. But lest you forget, these three words spoken by Jesus were in response to seven words of a faith that appealed to Jesus's heart. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Mary and Martha believed that the prayer that would move Jesus most was to appeal to Jesus's love for Lazarus. They appealed to God's heart and they experienced God's hand move in their life. The obvious question is, do you have this kind of confidence in God's love for you? And can you pray out of that confidence? You should, because remember, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Which means at the cross, God forever declared to you and to me, I love you. And you don't ever have to question that again. History was changed for Lazarus with just three words. Lazarus, come out. History can change for you today when you understand these three words. God loves you. He displayed that love for you on the cross and the only thing left for you to do is receive it. And you can do that right now. So at all of our locations, why don't we bow our heads? I believe that when God's word is preached, it does not come back void. Which means I believe that the same God who spoke the earth into existence and the same God who spoke life back into Lazarus, I believe this morning that that same God is speaking those very same words over your dead life, over dead dreams, and over dead situations right now so that some of you right here this morning at the Summit Church on Father's Day weekend might also experience a resurrection. God is speaking to some of you right now saying, Chris, come out. Kayla, come out. David, come out. Amy, come out. Kirsten, come out. John, come out. He's speaking to your sins saying, unbind them. Let them go. And he's speaking to your heart. And for the first time, you hear it and you believe it. And he's saying, dearly beloved, I love you. What this means is you no longer have to be defined by your sin. You no longer have to be defined by your situation, but rather in Christ, you can be defined by the Savior's love for you. If you want to receive and experience that love today, you can do that right now. You can pray right now. You can repeat after me a prayer that sounds something like this. You can say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but you are a greater Savior. I believe you have done everything necessary to save me. I believe Jesus paid my debt that I could not pay. And I put my faith and my trust in him. I believe, save me, oh Jesus. Summit Church, for the sake of everyone that just prayed that prayer, can we all agree together and just say amen? Amen, why don't you look up here? I wanna end today by doing two things. As a church family, I want us to take communion together. Communion is a physical reminder of God's love for you, God's blood shed for you, his body broken for you. 
And as you hold those things in your hand, as you hold the bread and the cup, I want you to pray. I want you to pray out of this posture that we just saw in John chapter 11. I want you to appeal to God's heart and expect to see God move in your life. So I'm gonna go ahead and call our teams forward at all of our locations to begin passing out communion at all of our campuses. Our teams are coming forward to distribute the bread and the cup. Listen, if you're here with us this morning and you are not a believer, first, I'm so glad that you chose to join us this morning. But as the elements come by you, I would just ask that, I would kindly and respectfully ask that you just allow them to pass over you because you don't need the bread and the cup. The bread and the cup represents something for those of us who have put our faith in Christ. They're a reminder of what we have believed. They're a reminder of God's love for us that we have received personally. What you need is not the bread and the cup. You need what they represent. And that's everything I've been talking about. They represent God's love for you. And you can still receive that right now. So here's what's going to happen. They're going to pass this out. I just want you to hold on to these things. Think about what they mean. And then we're going to put a phrase on the screen. The phrase is, Lord... The one whom you love is blank. Whatever you need to fill in that blank with. I've thrown some words up there that might aid you. You might might resonate with one of these words that are up on the screen and you need to use that word and pray and appeal to God's heart based on his love for you and believing that he will move in your situation. But for some of you, you just need to focus on the sentence itself. The one God loves, that's you. And what you hold in your hands right now in the bread and the cup is a physical reminder of that love for you. So wherever you are right now, you just take a moment, pray by yourself for a few minutes, holding on to these elements, remembering Christ's love for you. And then I'll come back and lead us together as one body and taking of the bread and the cup. You pray, I'll come back.